0: Between the Lines, with Virtual Academy, we all have a story to tell. Hello, I'm Chris Cardin, and this is Between the Lines. It's a podcast where we go beyond the badge to allow members of law enforcement, public safety, and first responders to have a place to tell their stories and talk about their cases and things that impacted their lives along their careers. We're here in Anniston, Alabama today at the Anniston Police Department. Uh, which is not far from my old stomping grounds. we got several guests in the room with us. I'd like to introduce first, retired police chief Shane Denham is here with us. Shane, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Chris. Yeah.
0: We also have Curtis McCants. Curtis is currently working with the Anniston PD. He is a captain, and he serves basically as their uh, top detective. He's the chief of detectives, as they say.
2: Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Glad to
0: be here. Oh, man. Glad to have you. And then the guy who started it all, for social media we were just talking about it for social media uh i said in alabama but i was quickly corrected by the president of the alan george fan club shane denham that he started the movement for social media across uh law enforcement so his name's alan george he's currently uh, the commander of the seventh judi- judicial violent crimes unit um but he's a retired captain from this same police department anniston pd good morning alan
3: good morning
0: Guys, uh, first off, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us on this podcast. Uh, you know, the goal here is for people that like cop stories, like cop stuff, to be able to plug in and hear things other than gear reviews and training topics. So, <laughs> you know, that always drives you. If you go to looking on the podcast, that's what you can find. Hey, Curtis, let's go back to uh, 2002. There was a blockbuster store here in Anniston, Alabama. Mm-hmm had an incident there that kind of well didn't kind of it made national news a quadruple homicide there uh walk us through a little bit about that tell me about that day where were you how'd you get notified
2: uh you know it's, it's you know i tell people a lot of times it's, it's several incidents in your life that you remember exactly what you were doing or absolutely where you were when something t- takes place and uh my story kind of starts with i i I picked my son up from daycare, went home like we normally do. My wife worked in Birmingham, so I normally was uh, the, the 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 daddy for at least about an hour before she made it home. And um, I got uh, the phone call a little bit before 7 o'clock uh, that evening. And uh, my first thought was, okay, you know, what do you do? I'm not originally from here, so I don't really have a... a support base as far as someone to keep my son. Were you in an in investigation? I was an investigator okay. at the time. All right, So was just
0: an, just a line investigator? Yes, working. just okay.
2: a, a line investigator. Um, so I had to try to reach out and find out where she was and, and her route home because I was just stuck there with him like, geez, I mean, this is, just, you know, because they were talking to me on the phone and letting me know that, hey, this is something that we hadn't seen before. So I walked in circles a few minutes and got in touch with her and she said that she was um about 20 minutes out so i had to actually load him up meet her on highway 202 and then drop him off with her and make it back to 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 blockbuster where the incident took place so all cops
0: with kids maybe not uh quadruple but we've all lived that scenario in some form or
2: fashion right that's right, that's right. Yeah. i tell you it was it was it was it started out scary even with that not knowing what to do with him but when i arrived on the scene. Um, Ironically, it's a movie um, a, a DV, oh, well, actually, it was VCR tapes back then. So VCR movie um, establishment. The whole thing felt like a movie, right. you know. You uh, know, just you know, we 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 normally would have a quick response to a lot of situations, uh, but in this particular situation, it was. And when I arrived on the scene, it had to be at least fifty people, close to fifty people out there at that particular time. Got a quick briefing on on what they had. Of course, um, I don't think in my time that I've, I've never known us to have a, a quadruple homicide. So when they told me that we had um, four people um, shot, um, it was kind of, you know, it was the heart starts racing. And, you know, I'm like, you know, this is the biggest thing I've been involved in. I've been involved in several cases, but, you know, this is the biggest one I've been involved in. So that's kind of how I got there in my initial response what was taking place?
0: So the suspect in this case, just from research, uh, was Donald Ray Wheat, and he was uh, from uh, over in Clay County. Clay Sorry. County, yeah, okay. he's from Clay County. So Donald Ray Wheat, I am mm-hmm. um, assuming, was not on the scene. He was not in custody.
2: No, uh, at that time, uh, of course, we had no idea, you know who who was involved, who were suspects, how many suspects, uh, one, two individuals, black, white you know uh, ethnic group we had no idea about anything you know all we had was uh four individuals um that um appeared to been shot uh, almost like execution style you know and that's basically what we had when we got inside
0: god so you basically had a blank slate could have been anything
2: could have been at that particular time
0: yeah what's your memory of that chief well, at that time, I was actually in an administrative type role,
1: uh, just a line officer, but i had had an accident on duty and, and my, actually had, I had a broken leg. So I was acting like a secretary at that point, answering the phone, doing menial tasks like that. And that's, that's kind of what I did during this investigation, which was almost nothing. Um, I was assigned just some menial task um leg work type stuff run some tags and do some other things you know th- there's so many things that go into investigation especially one of this size one man two men that you, you can't do it. it it takes a whole team um and i was just
0: one of those little satellite parts just doing administrative type stuff so you uh you just assisted basically hey you know run this twenty-eight. Which is, for those that don't know, is a license plate on a vehicle. People think we talk in codes, ten codes. Right. Well, we don't really say ten twenty eight. We just say twenty eight. You know. Luckily for me,
1: as it turned out, these guys were so good
0: that it was solved by the time I I was just getting started. <laughs> yeah, so. <right>. <laughs> <laughs> I think Curtis does not share your opinion on that. Uh, what about you, Alan? What do you remember about that incident?
3: I was actually sitting in Birmingham uh, with Captain Sanford and. At the time, investigator Bruce Butterworth, we were actually at a property crime investigator summit when our our pagers tell how far pagers. long ago that was, mm-hmm. and our yeah, pagers right. start going off. And uh, I can remember the captain went ahead and called uh, for all three of us, and just a look on his face when he you know when he came back and told us what had happened. Yeah, pretty traumatizing. Did you
0: guys load up and?
3: Head to Aniston. We did. We came back. I was just – I hadn't been in investigations long. Uh, I, you know, I was working property crimes, uh, maybe pawn shops at that time. Uh, you know, these guys were the – you know, they were the cream of the crop as far as we were concerned uh, as on persons cases. They – I just – I didn't – I never went to the scene. Uh, there was more than enough people at the scene, kind of like Shane, just some menial things here and there, whatever these guys needed at that moment uh, is what we were there to do.
0: Seems like, uh back in those days, I mean, even before then, I can remember my last duty station out of the army was the MP company at McClellan. So the actual road company. So I can remember the Aniston cops, man, they were, God, those guys were tough. Those Aniston cops (laughs) were just, they had to, they just had this reputation, you know? And, uh, a bunch of us went to some kind of club or something downtown. One Buddy lost his wallet, and we had to go to this old police station, and the guys you were know, just, what do you all need, you know, at the desk. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like uh, unbelievable. But a detective came out, and he had on a coat and tie. That's the one thing I remember. Okay. He, he had on a coat and tie and uh, asked us what we were doing. And you guys have always had a great reputation in uh, central Alabama and all over the state. But getting back to this incident, obviously you did your initial canvas, and you're talking, uh, you know, getting all the how the call came in. How did you start winding down on a suspect?
2: Well, I'm going, I'm going to call it um, uh, a stroke of luck, I think, and what you need in, in in most of these type cases, as well as um, I'm going to say the bravery of uh, one of the young men uh, that was uh, that was killed on the scene. Uh, we found a uh, a weapon uh, about two or three, maybe four or five inches away from one of the deceased in the building. And uh, we weren't sure whether it was his weapon or whose weapon it could have possibly have been. We uh, started a search on where that weapon came from. We had a, a couple of guys that were, um, were familiar with um, ATF agents. So it was a, a, a collaboration from right off the, the beginning. Right at the start, it was a collaboration. We Had a couple of guys call the ATF and started a search on um, the, the, the information on that weapon that we located at the scene, which was the only weapon that we located at the scene. They told us that they could not get to it until the next morning, but they would have somebody on it as soon as they could. Um, so after we got that taken care of, we noticed that there was a, a VCR tape and uh, they'd have a security system they had a a video surveillance uh, system there so we noticed that there was a videotape and um, the next uh, initial process was to see um, was anything captured on the videotape
0: I mean I can't imagine uh, a quadruple and all that goes into that but just for the benefits of the families not having to relive any of this we're not going to mention the victims names if you're from Anniston I'm sure you know some of these families the first day winds down You've got, uh, you know, you've got some direction. You've got some, uh, at least a firm planning on, you know, where the evidence is going to take you. Right. Where, where are you at mentally? You get home and you just got to be dad and husband?
2: Uh, yeah, that's one of the, the tricky parts about this job. You know, you, you I mean, you almost have to be a chameleon, you know, sometimes. Well, I, well, at least me, you know, some guys may feel feel comfortable with sharing the things that they go through at work, you know, but me personally, that, that never was, was me. I try to keep work at work put it that way so of course you know when we got pretty much no leads that evening you have to go home and I went home and and um, couldn't sleep just kind of sat around and and thought about things that I possibly could do the next day to try and um, bring this guy to justice. Of course
0: you know I have a law enforcement background but a lot of the cops that I talk to they say you know there's always that one case that, you know, sticks with you, stays in your crawl, whether you solved it or not. I'm assuming that this is probably that case for you. Well, at
2: that, at that time in my life, yes. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, um, again, I was uh, a new off. Well, I mean, I was a 10-year officer, but a, a six- or seven-year investigator. So right. the investigation part was, was new.
0: Alan, tell me about uh, going home to the family. I, I mean, Violent Crime Task Force, what do you guys, I mean, what what – tell me
3: about that we work uh primarily narcotics Uh, it's the same as a drug task force Uh, but we also have a component uh u.s marshals has a, a presence in our building i have a actual one of my men is assigned as a task force officer with the u.s marshals so we do fugitive apprehension as well uh one of my me in is assigned to the Drug Enforcement Administration as a task force officer and I have one that's assigned from Aniston to us uh, that is a task force officer with the ATF so we pretty much, you know, we're, we try to be a force multiplier for our smaller agencies in, in, in the 7th Circuit pretty much everything. We've worked homicides with some of our smaller departments uh, a lot of fugitive apprehension, a lot of narcotics. Of course,
0: you and I have known each other a long time, but I know from Facebook that you're pretty active. I think you have a daughter?
3: Correct. I actually have three. You don't She's oh. she's the baby. Uh, there's eleven years difference in her and the, and the oldest daughter.
0: Okay, all right. Softball player, is that right?
3: No, volleyball, basketball, and okay. track and field. I knew it was some
0: sort of sport, but you're always on there. So you you work a murder from eight to five, then you go home and you know you got to. How, how do you deal with that? I mean, I'm, you know, you've been in law enforcement twenty five plus years, so surely you're an old pro at it.
3: Um, I don't know if you ever become an old pro at it. Like like Kurt was saying, you know, it takes you a while as a young officer to figure out, find that switch to where when you walk out of this building and even when you find that switch and, you you know, you tell yourself you're leaving work at work. Right. Uh, because for officer safety purposes, you have to leave home at home when you're at work. Um, but that's easier said than done. And, and like Kurt says, you may not discuss it a whole lot with your family, but it's still there. The what ifs, what can I do better? Uh, you know, what else can I do to, you know, to bring this case to a, a successful conclusion for the families and for the victims? Shane, what
0: about you? Uh, of course you have a different perspective, uh, and I, I share part of part of your perspective. So Shane and I actually became police chiefs at the same time. We, we went through our, we got it. Uh, did our first conference together. So tell me about from a leadership perspective, from police chief. You know, we're, we're going to talk here in a few minutes about, you know, uh, Justin Solo Hub. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But t- tell us how, uh, you know, the the general when he goes home in the evening. What's the process? I mean, you got uh, two boys and a wife, and that's right.
1: Um- Just like these other two guys said, it's not easy, and it takes some getting used to. Um, I would often say, and I would argue anybody at this point, this is the greatest profession in the entire world. I've had some of the best times in my life working at this police department. Also had some of the worst times in my life. Um, But I would argue anybody anybody wants that wants to argue uh, law enforcement is corrupt or this or that or the other, I, I would argue these guys are the most professional guys anywhere. Just like Alan said, we're constantly evaluating ourselves. How can we do things better? What should I have done? What should I have not done? Um, and you can work with that when you have employees or, or um that that are doing things like that um, you, you can work with that and and that's that's why cases like
0: this get solved did you ever find yourself uh, I, I already know the answer to this question but when you were the police chief uh, maybe uh, you know Curtis McCants was carrying some baggage or had something on his mind and then because you're the chief and because you care about him he's your friend when you go home you're carrying that baggage too absolutely yeah, um, yeah. absolutely that's all, all ties into that whole thin blue line thing. You know, at the end of the day, all we have is ourselves kind of mentality. So Curtis, uh, getting back to Mr. Wheat here. Um, I read that he was actually convicted of a, I guess, an assault first or an attempted murder in the
2: seventies. Uh, I don't quote me on this, but I, I thought I read manslaughter. Um, the case was going by so fast. Uh, Once we, you know, once we got him, um, we really didn't go back to see the details of his case that he had back in the 70s. You know, um, again, I was just a little boy myself, but back in the 70s. Um, But what I read was he was charged with manslaughter. And I want to believe it was something involved with him stabbing someone.
0: Right. So uh, did you interview me? I did. Did he give you a statement?
2: Yes, he, he he didn't have a problem with 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 speaking to us. He he was uh I want to say a, a a different guy, you know. He he spoke monotone, low, um, didn't get upset, didn't get angry. The only admission of what I would call an admission is he said a couple of times that um, if I did this, you know, I need to be hung. Um, Call my mental health counselor To see if she thinks I could have done this Um, Of course those were admissions to me But um, he never got angry You know I was surprised that he even agreed to talk You know to law enforcement You know being that You know he had been involved with With uh, law enforcement before prior And I'm sure someone probably told him You know don't talk to the police But I was surprised that he did And um, he did for several days Without asking for an attorney
0: Take me to the actual taking him into custody.
2: You know, like I said before, it started with the trace of a weapon, and um, like I said, you know, it, it and a stroke of luck, of course. Um, that following day, of course, like I said, that night everything went cold. Uh, the following day, um, I got a call from um, ATF agent um, out of Birmingham, and he told me that uh, we've we've located uh, some information in reference to the weapon. Um, and actually it was purchased here in Anniston, it was the original purchase of it was here in Anniston um, he had narrowed it down to that and the original owner and um, he told us that he was on his way to Anniston um, actually he was familiar uh, I, I want to say at that particular time, you know, he was doing what we do now more often, he was attached you know, to like uh, a task force guy, to the ta- was, yeah to yeah. the task force and um, he picked up one of those guys and they followed that uh, weapons trail the rest of the day until midnight that night when I got a call from them saying that they found the the original owner of the weapon. We had done so many different things and 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 I'm kind of glad this happened. Like I said, everything just kind of fell in line. It made things a lot easier. He had been involved in a shooting we suspected in Georgia, and once these guys interviewed the original owner of the weapon. She gave them a story, and I think that they were going to run with the story that she gave them. That she purchased a weapon, well, she sold the weapon at a at a flea market or something like that. They called one of the investigators from Georgia, just you know, since they had an incident, who they thought Wheat may have been involved in as well. It was another homicide. Um, I think it was a robbery of a restaurant. That investigator came in from Georgia. Um, you're talking about two in the morning now. Uh, he interviewed her as well, and. And I am assuming she gave it up. She gave it up. Then that she knew Donald Wheat, and that's who she sold, sold the weapon to, or not sold it to him. That was her boyfriend. She gave him the weapon. And like I said, a stroke of luck. I got a phone call at four o'clock in the morning saying, "Hey, she she just told us who gave us the weapon. Gave I mean, who she gave the weapon to." And um, we were on our way to Clay County after talking with uh, Joe Hubbard, who you mentioned earlier about getting um, a warrant for his arrest.
0: Okay, so uh, we head to Clay County. Is it Aniston cert? What? Who goes? I think um, I didn't even know any of this was going
1: on at the time. Yeah, you got was, a broke leg. That's right. Yeah, you know, I'm laid up, the couch.
0: answering the phone and doing my hard work. Well, I'm assuming uh, quadruple homicide. I'm assuming that it was it
2: was a call out. Negative. No. <laughs> Negative. Really? <laughs> it was uh, four investigators, and from here, and and I called all those guys. Our, well, I don't even know if our supervisor went with us at that particular time. I think he came later uh, because we were on our way at five in the morning uh, to Clay County. Um, of course, the sheriff there had um, about three or four of his guys. And those Georgia guys, um, they brought about four guys. Uh, they summoned about four guys also. Um, and, of course, we uh, talked to the sheriff there. He was familiar with Donald Wheat. We had addresses and information, so we went by his house and uh, tried to come up with the best plan to uh, get him to to surrender if he was home. Because um, at that time we didn't know if he was home or not. Um, we went back, came up with an op order, and um, we went back and uh, tried to apprehend him at that particular time.
0: So, what happened? Was did you guys knock it in and announce, step on the porch, say, you know, police department?
2: I hate bringing light to one of these situations but it was it, it didn't it didn't happen the way we drew it up i don't know th- i don't know if it always happens the way you you draw it up i think it never yeah. happens <laughs> you know we were we were supposed to um use a phone call you know call him on a cell phone and we had his phone number and try to get him to just come out so when we get there um uh, the only person that had a cell phone at that particular time was the, the sheriff. And his battery died, so we had no way of, of calling him. So we had to go to a neighbor's house about a half a mile down the road. And that's, and she had a cordless house phone. So then we had to try to make sure that it was going to reach from where we needed him to be, that, well, the, the, the network to reach from where he, we needed him to be to make the phone call. So, actually, with a lot of fuzz and buzz, he made the phone call. He did. Donald, we didn't answer the first call, so we had to call back, and we're using the courtlet's, a cordless hand, handheld um, house phone at that particular time. Um, he finally answers. Um, the sheriff then puts the phone down, and he goes to the bullhorn, and um, he tells him that we're outside. That's not his exact words, so, um, but he tells him we're outside, and, and actual – and, and and gives him commands to come out on the bullhorn. Gives him commands to come out. Um, Donald We came out. Um uh, and we uh we were able to arrest him without incident.
0: Was he uh was he armed? When he at that particular time? Yeah, when you guys took him into custody. No, he was
2: not. No, he was not. He actually he came out, um the sheriff it, you know, gave him instructions, let him know that we were out there, um and we were out there in force and he he surrendered.
0: Did uh did you guys work a warrant on the house?
2: We did, we did. After 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 we took him into custody, um, of course, I left the scene to go and interview him, um, and like and like uh, I want to believe uh, Captain George said earlier, you know, and the chief. It, it, it takes a lot of people. Of course, you know, you know, I mean, you know this. You've been in law enforcement a while. It takes a lot of people. So a lot of people were involved in this situation. When I went to interview him. Uh, we had two other investigators, uh, Chris and Mike Robertson. They handled getting the search warrant for the house. And um, once we got this, I, I interviewed him while they began the paperwork for the search warrant for the house.
0: Well, I know that the city of Aniston and the family members of those four individuals that lost their lives are glad there's a Curtis McCants and an Aniston PD in the world i know that and it, you're yeah. right it does take a bill yeah, it was
2: a lot more than a Curtis McCants yeah. i tell you that uh, it was i mean it was it was a lot of guys involved in this uh we took a lot of calls like the chief said up um, earlier we took a lot of a lot of calls the next day um the community um giving tips and 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 wanting and thinking they saw something and and some of them had, some of them did see some valid things so um it took people to take those calls get that information uh, to investigations, we had to vet those calls. We had guys to to do that to see if it's something that we needed to follow up on. Um, so it was a lot of people involved, and then and, and it wasn't just Curtis McCants. So it, was, it was it was a lot of people. Did the business stay open after that? I don't think the business uh, reopened after that incident. Yeah, I don't think so. And now it's a
0: doctor's office. or It something. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. doctor's office. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, you know, I remember that happening uh, just vaguely. I mm-hmm. uh, guess I was – I think I was working nights, lieutenant, you know, in I, 2002. But.
1: Yeah, I think about it every time you ride by right now. There's still <laughs> memorials that are out front that were permanently placed there. So oh,
0: really? What are they?
1: It's like little crosses with the victims' um, names and things like that. And
0: somebody keeps it up. I don't know who, but it, they've been there ever since. Was there uh, – was it ever established – um, that there was any sort of connection between wheat and the four people that were murdered.
2: Oh, definitely not. I mean, I mean, he he was randomly just picking targets. Like I said, he had done this from Georgia, you know, all the way down to to, to Aniston, um, Opelika. I mean, he, he he had done this in quite a few places. Not not actually commit homicides, but he had robbed quite a few places uh, at gunpoint.
0: At Virtual Academy, we're helping our clients build better prepared public safety professionals by offering high-level training provided by engaging national experts. With hundreds of hours of training available instantly, Virtual Academy offers the functionality your officers need so they can train as their schedules permit. Find out how Virtual Academy can meet the needs of your agency today. Visit virtualacademy.com for a complete list of courses, training resources, and more. Virtual Academy, because you deserve more. So now let's talk about August 24th, 2011. Hot Alabama summer. The small city with big city problems. Anniston, Alabama. Got a young officer I was told earlier, uh, just a couple of years on the job with no previous law enforcement experience. A kid that grew up here, his family's from here, and uh, graduated, I guess, from JSU. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't know anything about graduating from JSU, do you?
1: Well, I did once upon a time. I think Curtis may have
0: also. Oh,
2: really? Yeah, I have a few memories. Okay. I have a few All memories.
0: Right. <laughs> Y'all probably got uh, boxes full of three-ring binders from... Uh, I, I was just a student. Curtis played football, so, you know... Oh. It, just a little, just a little bit. Did you play for uh, Coach Burgess?
2: I did. Nice. I was um, one of the first recruiting classes that he had. Wow. Yeah. When he came from uh, Oxford and uh, came to TSU, I Very was one cool. of the first first recruiting classes. Very cool. He's a good guy, good coach.
0: So, uh, Solo Hub got hired, uh, I guess, in two thousand nine. Probably,
1: probably that that'd be that'd be close. He was just shy of about three years before
2: this incident happened. I think it was. I, I I polygraphed him, so I'm thinking it was about 2009.
0: So setting the stage, um, assuming he was working a day shift, this happened during the day, right?
2: That's right. Correct.
0: My memory is correct. I think, was it a warrant service? Is that what it was? No. Um,
1: kind of like what Kurt was saying earlier, um, when an incident like this happened, you can remember exactly where you were. I Absolutely. remember exactly Absolutely. where I was when this happened. Chris, you know me well enough to know, what time do I eat lunch every day? 11 o'clock. Exactly. And I'm never late. It was 10.45 and me, um, and I, that day I was eating lunch with investigator Mark Osborne, who wound up being the um, the crime scene guy that worked this yeah. case. We were actually walking out the side door of the police department, getting into my car and fixing to leave when the call came out. And I'll never forget it. It was um, officer down, shots fired, and... Location when it went out was just a few blocks from us. So how did the call come in, Chief? Came out over the radio. It, w- it wasn't a call. Solo Hub was just out doing what he did, which was being a good street cop. Um, he was out checking bad guys and people that looked suspicious or looked like they were doing something. And, and that's how he ran into this suspect on that day. It wasn't a call. He just saw him in an alley and got out with him and started to talk to him
0: if my memory serves me correctly, uh, everybody that got interviewed or talked to about this incident said the same thing about Justin, that the community loved him, the department loved him and he was just beloved. Alan, what do you have to say about that?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, Justin was just a great kid, just a big infectious smile. Um, I, I don't know that he ever met a stranger. Uh, anybody that, ever come in contact with Justin Just all, they all had really good things to say about him and rightfully so
0: What was your role in the department at that time?
3: I was a lieutenant over training and inspections at that time and I was also in charge of an off duty group that worked in the housing communities and Justin worked for me in the housing communities and Justin had maybe 10 minutes before it all happened uh, Justin was in my office. Uh, we were talking. He had just filled out his schedule for his off-duty job uh, for the Public Housing Authority. You know, like I said, he's just a big, goofy kid, uh, great guy. I told him at that time because he was, he was very proactive, uh, made a lot of narcotics arrests, just a really good street cop, like Shane said. Um, and I told him he reminded me a lot of myself when I was younger. When, and, of course, I joked with him. I was like, "When this is what you have to look forward to. Uh, <laughs> Gray hair and stress and anxiety. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Justin, <laughs> Justin was one of those guys that when we hired him, we knew he was going to be a short-timer here. He was going places. Um, and we knew we weren't going to have him very long. And why is that? Just because he you know, had the upward mobility, you could see it? He did. You know, he had the education. He had the attitude. Um, he had, you know, just – People liked him. He did a good job. You didn't have to worry about him. So we knew he was going to be
0: moving on to bigger and better things. Who was running the, uh, you said training and inspection. So, and I know you have an FTO background, uh, Alan. So were you running the FTO program?
3: Uh, I was not at that time. Uh, I think they would appointed someone else as the FTO coordinator. Were you running it
0: it when Justin went through it? I was not. So you you and Justin have a conversation in your office. How does that conversation end?
3: Um, just laughing and cutting up uh, that's that's who Justin was he was very light-hearted because Shane and I are from the same old school you know it's getting close to 11 o'clock so you know it's about to be <laughs> lunchtime that's right uh, so he just he went on out the door and I just you know finished up a few things there getting ready to, and I stood up my office at the time was there was my office and then the secretary and then the chief McGrady at the time his office. Um, and I stood up and was just going to the door and I could, I looked through and I saw McGrady cause McGrady would also eat around 11 as well. Uh, all of us old school guys did. And then that, that call goes out over the radio that you never, ever want to hear. So can you, can you remember what the call
0: was exactly and who, who made it or the transmission?
3: I don't remember exactly who made it.
0: Um, I want to say it was Bostick. It
1: it, I had heard Justin on the radio earlier, just a few seconds before that, and I want to say it was Bostic, I,
3: And sure. I believe that's correct. Um, so he rolled up on it? No. Justin calls out with this individual in the alley, and I, I assume Bostick was close by, goes to basically back him up, and as Justin begins to approach the individual and talk to him, and I, I, maybe he sees the other patrol car pulling up as well. He bolts and runs. So Justin tells him, tells the other officer, "Circle the block because uh, he's running from the alley westbound." You know, so if the officer try to cut him off, um, and you know, unfortunately, you know the foot chase didn't last that long.
0: Yeah. So basically, from what I've been told, I think you've shared with me in the past, Shane, I'll let you, uh, you know, talk about this. But, you know, Officer Solo Hub just uh, laid it all on the line and lost his life uh, just in an ambush right here in downtown.
1: Basically, um, there was um, there again, you know, we had that whole team trying to piece this together pretty quickly right after it happened. Um, I was not a part of this, but I was told later um, there was quite a few people that actually witnessed what happened. There was um, a, a pretty good-sized group of people that were at this house, and they were washing some cars or doing some outside things like that. And Justin uh, chased this guy um, right by him and around the corner of a house. Um, the guy just set up an ambush for him, and that,
0: that's how it was relayed to us. So I'm assuming at that point in time it's all hands on deck and the chaos ensues. Absolutely. So, walk uh, me through that.
1: It was like a waterfall of people and resources, and it it was almost just like crushing. Um, and it didn't take long. First person I remember being there that was not with our agency was um, who is now the sheriff in Calhoun County, Matthew Wade. Good he guy. was not he was not the sheriff then, but he was there pretty quickly and. Um, Of course, everybody at our department was already there and doing all the things that had to be done. And I I would say most of our department was probably there before the medical people even arrived. I mean, it was that close to the PD, Um, not something that you really expected. Um, But that
0: was just the beginning of of what become a long, long day. Curtis, where were you when uh, you first heard about the death of Justin?
2: I actually... um got a phone call from a civilian and um, I was cutting grass and, and I normally you know since my wife was working I, th- I think at that particular time I don't, I can't remember if she was working in town or not but I know she wasn't home and so I normally just check the phone periodically and check messages to see if somebody's called me either from work um, I wasn't in an investigation at the time and I would say I was off I was uh, just a newly um, promoted sergeant um, so I went in-house, just so happened to get a drink of water, phone rings, and a civilian told me, hey, I think one of your guys has just got shot. Um, and they gave me the street. And so, of course, I called the, the police department and I was told that, yes, he was shot. So, you know, work clothes and all, I just threw a vest on and, and came from just cutting the grass and, and pulled up to see exactly what I could do.
0: In a lot of these cases, Alan... Uh, uh some period of time goes by where it's everyone's unsure they're hoping for the best and sometimes the worst comes w- tell me about the the emotional response from the police department's perspective knowing full well that you still got a job to do i mean there's still calls coming in there's still walk, walk me through that what i mean i've never experienced this
3: the emotion is is really it's hard to explain one of the positives is when something like this happens, is other agencies drop what they have. They send personnel. You know, we had former Aniston guys uh, that are hired at uh, Hoover and Pelham, places like that, and within hours, they were here, and they were answering calls. Uh, You know, they just jumped into our vehicles uh, because they knew, because Pelham had experienced it just prior to us. That's right. They sure do. Um, and that's what you know. Aniston has done the same thing. You know, when another, if another agency close by uh, loses someone, Aniston, you know, because we've experienced that and we know how important that is. I guess one of the one of the things that you have a hard time grasping is you're in this whirlwind and everything has just stopped, and you know deep down that life as you know it is never going to be the same. But, you know, when you look out and you see all these people and they're just driving, they're going to the tank, you know, going shopping, they're going to a restaurant. It's hard to understand that, you know, life is still going on, but for you and, and your, and your brothers and sisters at that moment, no, it's not. I mean, it's, everything has stopped. Um, It's, it's definitely something I, I would happily go to the great beyond without, ever having to experience again
0: so on a personal level i mean uh you were in a leadership role training and inspection uh you what was your
1: role then shane i had just came out of the job that george had went into um and i was the uniform captain so i was kind of like the right hand man to the police chief and was over all the guys in uniform so indirectly justin was working for me that
0: day and curtis where, where were you assigned
2: um, I was a newly promoted sergeant at that particular time. and I, I just kind of wanted to elaborate a little bit, yeah, from my, my standpoint. again, sometimes my, my views are a little different. It's that to me it was kind of like you know what you mentioned earlier when we were talking about you know, discussing things with your family and those type issues. It, it's, it was kind of like that switch thing for me. And, it, and maybe just because you know, Justin never worked for me. I polygraphed him, but he never worked for me. But it was, I you, I thought about that, I thought about it personally when I first heard it and then when it was over with. It was more or less, we got something to do. You know, it's a job. And it's, it, it went from thinking emotionally about him to we got to find this dude. You know, I mean, it just, it, 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 I mean, you call it tunnel vision or whatever. So I, I, I really wasn't, Thinking about, you know, I guess you know his interaction here at the police department. Um, it was we got to find this dude, we got to get him off the street, and then after it was all over, then you, then I got the, you know, this is one of our people. You know, this is, you know, it's, it's my brother. You know, that's that was the that that was the way I was feeling at that particular time.
1: I I remember exactly like what Curtis was saying. I did the exact same thing. Initially, it was momentary shock that lasted for just a few seconds. Then it was like, okay, we've got a job to do. Because I was one of the first guys that got there and saw what I saw. And it was pretty apparent to me that he was not going to survive this. So it was like, okay, we got a job to do. And I saw some guys in the police department, just old, crusty guys, that had been here forever, a lot longer than I had that were just there and had just shut down yeah. i had never seen that before right and it was a shock to me and there was and i will not call any names or try to sure. embarrass anybody sure. or anything like, but there if there was more than one and i remember going up to him and saying go back to the police department we got this
0: we we, we got this kind of a changing of the guard more or less and you know what what you were saying, Curtis, is you need a good balance of, of of that type of leadership because somebody has to step up and say, "Hey, and you know someone like Justin that everybody was so close with, you know any officer death uh, right is 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 terrible and I, it's just appalling. but when you're a small shop like Aniston p d, you know, everybody knows everybody you know 10 minutes before the officer was killed, uh, he was having a conversation with you
1: i think that's one of the reasons why it hit us so hard we all you know even though we're not working together that day or whatever we all know each other we know our you know i know his wife and curtis's wife and their kids and their names and you know we're we're just all friends
3: and i think that's and i don't fault the general public for it uh you know i've had conversations with other officers before that you know and not to use this term uh in a derogatory manner but you know there, we talk about the general public being sheep and we're the sheep dogs you know and we talk about sometimes it'd be nice to go back and be in a sheep to where you're just completely oblivious to everything all this that goes on but I think that's what they don't understand and I, and I think it's what shortens our lifespan is you know you can go from one minute kneeling beside your brother holding his hand begging him to fight and when medical personnel take over you're Within a few minutes, you're on a skirmish line, walking through brush, trying to flush out the very individual that's responsible for this. Right. Mm, the
0: trauma that you guys went through, I can't, I cannot wrap my head around it. I mean, I you know I never had to handle that type of situation, and I commend you guys because I, I one thing I remember is uh, everything being handled so well and the p- outpouring of support. Uh, from the Aniston community and all around the country really that, that didn't weren't, weren't there several uh, outside organizations that kind of lended a hand and reached in? Absolutely um,
1: I, I would say you know this incident went on um, from 11 o'clock to probably 5 30 6 30 in the evening before we actually called him and by that time uh, we were set up in our, our command post and an abandoned building that used to be a city building, so there was a pretty good-sized parking lot there, which which worked out great for our purposes, and I can remember at one point, after a couple hours into it, turning around and looking at the parking lot, and there were hundreds of people there, not just news media, which there was every news media that you could get in. We were just trying to keep them back at that point, because that wasn't wasn't our focus right then, but had more resources than I knew what to do with. And that, that's what I was kind of talking about when it just felt like a crushing, crippling feeling because I turned around and looked and, and just kind of said to myself, I'm in charge of all these people. What the heck do I do? You know, and you have this self-doubt and this, you know, you got to catch this guy. And what do I do with all these people? Um, And luckily, I I had some good people around me, you know, guys just like this and other guys, um, SRT guys, and everybody just did their role,
0: which made it much, much easier. One of the things that uh, comes up usually like when when you have a natural disaster or, you know, hurricane, flood, tornado, whatever, is you have this just outpouring of volunteers and help and, hey, you know. And I know firsthand that when a police officer gets – hurt or killed or something happens in the line of duty. Here come the cops, man. They come from everywhere. They did. How do you mitigate that? How, how do you manage that massive group of people?
1: It was very difficult. Luckily for us, uh, in one aspect, we had this guy pinpointed to a certain location that was probably, I'm guessing, what do you guys think? Maybe three city blocks um, Roughly, Just something about. like that. Just about, maybe three blocks. That was entirely wooded. Not only was it wooded, but it was overgrown, and it was so high that you couldn't, you couldn't even walk through it. But we were pretty certain that he was in there, and we didn't know it at the time. But we found out shortly later. There was also a system of underground tunnels and little. I don't know what you would call it. It was almost like caverns or whatever. Drainage culverts. Drainage culverts. And and so we had no idea what we were up against. And that's one reason why it took so long, because it was so easy for him to hide. We're
0: talking August. It's a wonder that uh, the suspect didn't wind up getting snake bit or one of the police officers even. So uh, one of the things you shared with me, and I just think is pretty miraculous, is when you the U.S. Marshal guy tells you, hey, he's right there. Exactly. Tell me about that.
1: This was right at the end, and we had um, the Sheriff's Office brought out an armored personnel carrier. We had been running all over that brush for hours and hours, and um we didn't know if we had already ran over him by now or whatever but anything that that we could run over any briar patch we had flattened it and and it was just constant like you said the heat that we had guys that were right at the point of heat casualty and all that and he had been trying to he had a cell phone and he had been trying to use it and we had the marshals there we had every federal agency that you can think about it they were flying airplanes over and we had a cell phone tower that was right there so anybody that used a cell phone it, they were going to be using our tower and sure enough he had he turned his phone on right at the end trying to get somebody to come pick him up or whatever and that's i was standing beside the marshal at, at the command post and he was like he and he pointed and said you see down that alley that car that's down there it was about 75 yards down and i said i do he said he's about 50 yards on the other side of that car directly out from it he was like, go
0: get him. And that's what we did. So, you just, I mean, is it like a, a movie where the infantry just breaks through the line? Does everybody run down there? I mean, that's, that's something that has to be managed. I mean, emotions are running high.
1: It was not managed, the emotions were high. And as soon as the word got out, hey, guys, he's over there,
0: it was Katie bar the door. So the uh, the marshal guy tells you exactly where he is. He's, you know, 50 yards off from a car to 75 yards down that way. Right. Uh, clearly, uh, emotionally, chaos ensues. They run down there and get him in custody. Uh, you're still in charge. Right. So now what? That's when all the hard work began.
1: We had all the those people that were still there. Um, we were already making plans and trying to – figure out what we were going to do. Uh, we were, I'd already put somebody in charge of, let's set up some driver's license checkpoints. And because we were just like an hour and a half or so from dark, and we didn't know if we were going to get him or not. So we had already started setting up checkpoints in different places and main routes and things like that. Um, so when we got him, it, it was a huge relief that, that
0: this thing wasn't going to go into the nighttime. Now, uh, just, for, just for clarification, you did have him identified you just didn't have him in custody that's correct
2: okay cuz there was had,
0: there was a warrant or something we had multiple people that called us within
1: within the first hour gotcha. informants and um identified him
2: i'm I'm glad you, you brought that up because i was going to kind of go back to that we we live in a in a different world now where you 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 sometimes don't think that you have a lot of community support right that wasn't the um, case here. In in this situation, from the area where where this incident took place, most people would probably say that you're not gonna have any community support in this type of situation. But we had several witnesses at that particular time, um, that came forth to help us identify, you know, who this guy was. So so we had a name. Um, actually we had a first name and then I think due to some investigative stuff we ended up getting the last name, but we, we pretty much knew who he was from the get-go
0: we fast forward a little while we've got the suspect in custody so he's secured he's no longer a threat to law enforcement or the public uh things are winding down for the evening for you guys emotionally things are winding up i'm assuming so take me uh if you don't mind alan take me to uh you know leaving leaving the area going home what i mean
3: what do you do um you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you you kinda get this sense that your your life has changed. And it's it's never you know, the the people that we were at ten thirty that morning, you know, you'll never be those people again. One of the first things I remember doing once he was in custody uh, was just going in my office and shutting the door and just, just collapsing. You know, I, my t- my clothes were tore all to pieces from, you know, going through there. I, I was dressed in dress clothes and just knowing I needed to go home but not really ready to go home yet um, because I knew that I, we still had guys there uh, that were hurting and, and, and you know, we're, we're going to need a shoulder or, or what have you. Um, but I also reached out to Susan Simmons uh, I'm sure you're familiar with great uh, resource for law under the shield because I knew, um, we were going to need help. I can remember
1: that night we had multiple guys that just refused to go home. They they weren't ready to go home, and I can remember some of them saying, "Well, Salt hub doesn't
0: go home. Tonight. Exactly. I'm not going home." I can remember uh, at Silicaga we had uh, an officer that passed away off duty, but he was beloved and he was a member of the family. And his motorcycle was at the police department. And one of the guys from his shift came and said, hey, you know, we just want to leave that motorcycle there and we just want it to be, you know. And I had to have that conversation with him, you know, that, hey, you know, life continues so surely I mean there somebody had to go clean out a locker somebody I mean he was all over the police department you guys were still in the old building we were okay so tell me I mean how do you move on as an organization
1: I can remember that that day and that task fell to me where I had to carry the rest of his stuff up to his mom and his stepdad um, his SRT vest and all that and the chief at that time said, you know, let's, let's get this back to his family, and that, and that was a tough day. It really was. And we had assigned an officer to um, Emily Randall's, and we had assigned her to be with the family and be a liaison for the family, and she was a, she was a great resource at that time. Um,
0: but I remember that day specifically. I've uh, had the opportunity to meet uh, the mother. Uh, Through when I retired, I was with the AG's office, and I can't imagine what that family was going through. And Curtis, were you going to say something? Well, I was
2: just saying, you know, you asked how you how do you move on. I be honest with you, I don't know if you ever really truly move on. But it goes back to the same thing we were talking about earlier, in which both of these guys agree. Doing this job, you got to be able to turn it on and turn it off. You know, it's it's got to. If you're not able to do that then either one way is going to hurt you. You know, if you go one way in the emotional side, it's probably going to hurt you in the future. And if you go one way just in the police side, you know, dress right, dress, you know, it is going to hurt you as well. You got to be able to 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 maneuver through that doing its job. And I don't, I don't think it ever goes away. And I think that's a good thing, you know, because it helps. Right. It helps with officer safety. It helps you talk to new officers about this incident and other incidents to, to to help them further their careers and hopefully they won't get in the same situation. So I, to me, I don't think it's ever went away. I mean, I always remember that and I'll try to learn from it um, as far as discussing it. Again, you know, like I said earlier, in some ways you guys might be a little better than me. Talking to a civilian about that sometimes is difficult because you don't I don't you know you don't want to be cynical, but I don't know if you really understand that until you until you do this that's right you know yeah. so so to me talking to you about it yeah I can probably talk to you about it but it won't be the same as talking to one of these guys about it is, is what I'm saying yeah. that's
1: one of the things that we did um that I think was a good thing that kind of helped with the healing process internally in this building was we took his story and we incorporated it into our new hire um introduction and on a PowerPoint. I think, I don't know if you did it or Nick actually put it together. I think Nick did. I think Nick put it together, but he tells the story and how we got to where we are and why this building is named for Officer Sola Hub. Uh, so we do that with every new group
0: that comes through about every three or four months. And there's, um, there's some distinction with the actual address of the building as well, is there not? That's correct. We
1: actually ask if we could... Um, designate this building as 174 West 13th Street, which 174 was Justin's badge number.
0: That's pretty awesome. One of the hot topics, if you start reading the law enforcement magazines, I know I'm a nerd. I still read all that stuff, but you are a nerd. Yeah, well, you know, hurtful. <laughs> um, but, it's, but I love you. Well, I appreciate that. Um, it's this whole wellness approach to what we do. You know, you got, uh, you got wellness apps, you got wellness this. You got wellness that. And, you know, it's like finally we're starting to realize, you know what? We go through some trauma. absolutely. You know, absolutely. the stuff we've seen and.
1: Human tragedy all day, every
0: day. Uh, you know, absolutely. people at their worst. Uh, worst kids getting hurt and uh, police officers being murdered. You know, it's like a, a, a soldiers in a battle. You know, we're, we're all friends. We're all buddies. But, you know, if Alan goes down, you know, I may have to put our friendship aside and and do a job and I commend you guys for it I've never been tested in that way I I hope I would perform that way but you never know well let me ask you a a question Alan um I'm a brand new police officer 2022 I can't imagine starting run (laughs) Uh, I'm committed to the profession I want to be a good cop uh, look me dead in my eyes and, and give me the formula for success.
3: One, listen to your training officers. For to me that's for always first and foremost. Uh, uh them being able to take what they learn in the academy and make it applicable to what they do on the street. Uh and always trust your gut. Uh that, that may that takes a little while to develop. Uh I, I know I was guilty when I was young of, you know, trying to get that next dope arrest and cutting corners sometimes on safety and things of that nature. And when you have a couple of close calls or some not so close calls, you begin to realize, you know, n- no arrest is really worth a lot of that. Um, so use your gut. You just use common sense.
0: So what about the uh, uh, the old guys? When I got back from the police academy, they said, well, just forget all that crap you learned in the academy. We're going to teach you how to police. Is that uh- – I mean, that's. I mean,
3: that's. I, when I, I still teach the uh, FTO instructor school every fall at the academy, you taught me. I was one of your <laughs> students, right? Right, and uh, that's one of the things I always tell them is, you know, you've got to stop that mentality. You've got to stop that because, and then the academy is exactly what it is. It's basic. Uh, you know, in some instances, that's all some of some of these officers get is just that, and nothing else. That's right. That's right.
0: Uh, I don't know if you remember this or not but I was in that school with Paul Drake. Mm-hmm. Paul was actually Paul was Lieutenant Silacaga that passed away with a heart attack off duty and it was his motorcycle I was referring to. But you you made an announcement you said where are the two Silicaga guys? We raised our hands. He said you guys don't need to be in this class. Do you remember that? We <laughs> made 100 on the pretest. Those oh guys, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> well, and actually I I kind of refer to that cuz you know back then on the pretest it was still fairly new for the at least for our area and so my deal was if you pass the pretest I just give you a certificate well then I started having people like you and and, and Drake and some others that were either products of that Fto program or they were had studied up on the program so I, I you know I, I no longer tell them that they just got to take the pretest and <laughs> uh,
0: you know cops they'll they'll cut a corner when it uh, presents itself absolutely Curtis so uh I'm a I'm a rookie uh, investigator I just got pulled off patrol I've got about five years Uh I've wanted to be a detective my whole life and I'm sitting in McCants office Captain McCants and you're about to give me the best advice of my career go <laughs> I need to go back to
2: ship <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back to ship no I you know, it's no different from being on patrol. I, 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 you know, I tell guys the main thing that you have to do to be successful in this position is to, uh, you know, for one, treat people like you want to be treated. For one, know that you're going to be dealing with a lot more sensitive information and and, and situations um, because your part never ends. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you're on patrol, you work your 12 or 8, and you go home. And, of course, you're going to think about some of the things you did and, and what you're on to the next day and different adventures. Most of the time in investigations, if you work a serious case, the preparation and the time that it's going to take it is it, never – even when you're off, you know, you're thinking, oh, I got to go to court, or I got to get a warrant on this person, or I got to go talk to so-and-so. It, it never really goes away, and unless you're not prepared for that, then this may not. And I, you know, I have to be real with them. This may not be where you want to be. You know, it's going to be late night phone calls when you least expect it to come in on a on a regular basis, not just when something big happens. You know, you're going to get these calls on on situations from, you know, somebody got punched real hard and fell to, you know, a, a, a murder. So um, I don't, you know, I try not to 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 weigh a lot on the bad things, but I do I do let them know that hey, look, this takes a, a particular type of person, you know, you're gonna have to juggle a lot of things, you're gonna have to be smart. The paper is, the paperwork is ha- is going to have to be, you know, uh, all t's crossed, all eyes dotted, uh, because somebody will tear you apart if it's not together on a witness stand. Um, I, I just I try to keep them tense. I hate that, but I try to keep them tense just so that they're aware that, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to be doing a, a few different things here, you know, in this position.
0: Chief? So uh, I just got appointed police chief last night by the city council. It's my first day. Aniston PD, what's your advice? Oh, man.
1: Strap your seatbelt on. It's going to be a ride. Um, I enjoyed my time. It, it was. I never really knew that that's where I would would wind up or aspire to that. Um, luckily for me, and and a lot of guys may not be able to say this, the groundwork was there, I the SOPs were there, all the leadership qualities were already in place for all the guys that were below me, so they made me look good, um, even when. I was unsure or, or wasn't sure what I was going to do. You know, the guys below me, these guys and other guys that are not here, some that have retired, some that are still here, they made me look good. we were a great team, and, and that would be my advice. you got to build a team because I've, I've told uh, Nick this when I left. I said, look, bud, you can't do this by yourself. Trust me, you can't do it. It will kill you. You know, I often said it's a blessing and a curse. All in the same. It's a blessing to be there, to be able to, you know, make some positive impacts and and do some things that you want to do, but it's a curse because you can't go anywhere. You can't get away from it. I couldn't go to church without. You know, listening to three police stories, or or giving out legal advice on
0: land disputes. There were four police cars at my neighbor's house the other night. What was going on? Those were the politician calls. (laughs) Hey, there's
1: five cars at 15th and so and so. What's going on? Well, I don't know. It's midnight and I was asleep. You know, if (laughs) I guess I could call and find out, or maybe this could wait till seven in the morning. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, police chiefs, you can't do it by yourself. Build a good team. And and,
0: uh, give your team the authority and allow them to do the job. That's good advice from all of you. And I appreciate you uh, sharing your wisdom and insight. Two of you are still in the trenches digging every day. And I know that you do it because you love it. Because there's not much other reason to do it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I still say this is the noblest profession, the most honorable thing that you can do. Because, You know 100 percent. yeah and i agree with that and you know my mentor chief zook louis zook who works for amic you know he always told me hey you don't need a team it'll run itself it'll run itself right into the ground absolutely uh but you got to have strong leadership and i know that i'm sitting at a table with three good friends and three good leaders you guys are law enforcement royalty and i appreciate you taking a few minutes to spend with us today and i just appreciate your friendship Thank you, Chris. It's Thanks awesome. for coming here. It's been great. Thank you am enjoying it.